song in it that almost makes you dance. So far, I think it's this one. It's brilliant. We pray, oh Lord, we want to bless you. We want to approve of you, Father, who have sent your Son uh, so that we can be safe, that we can run to him and hide in him. We thank you for this amazing song. Oh, Jesus, thank you that we can come because of what you have done and expect the Father to receive us as a father receives his child. Even though we've uh, let you down this week, even though we have sinned this week, we've turned away from you, we thank you that how we feel doesn't even factor into it this morning. You, you say, if you look to my son, Jesus, then you are safe and you are right in my eyes. And we want to shelter in Jesus now as we come to read your word, as, we, as our incense rises to you, as we pray to you. Thank you that we can know that we can be heard, because, not because of our performance, because we are rubbish, but because of Jesus and what he has done. We pray now you'd speak to us as we read and as we hear the preaching, as we continue to praise you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. If you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, and I read verses 1 to 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend. And he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Ah, oh, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if you ask for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Oh, may God speak powerfully and we listen to him this morning. We're going to have, if you have your Bible open, open it to uh, Matthew's Gospel um, and chapter 6. I think um, as a church, we, um, we don't want to be seen by the outside world as um, being like a bunch of monks, you know, with our heads under rocks. So in the light of that, I think it'd be wrong not to mention the rugby yesterday. <laughs> Just to be culturally aware, it's uh, great. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> um, Matthew chapter 6, we're in the middle of a series on, on prayer, and we're going to go through the Lord's Prayer. Um, so the, the verses for today... It's really it's just two words. Um, this is how you should pray. Our Father. Shall I pray? Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you and praise you for bringing us 
together. We thank you so much for the truth that is in Jesus. Father, we thank you that you stored up all of our life in him, and it's only by him that we can be together this morning and, uh, and we can yeah, sing these words and say that they apply to us. We want to praise you for him and what you've done in him. And, uh, and Jesus, we want to see now how you have taught the disciples to pray, uh, that you have taught them this is what true prayer is. And unless we're following this, um, yeah, then we, we, we do come unstuck. So I pray you'd help us now. Speak to us and open our eyes. Uh, we're so blind sometimes. We're so deaf as well and, and hard-hearted. So please soften um, all of that for us. And we thank you that, yeah, we, we, we come to you just covered in your righteousness, Jesus. And, um, and we can come really boldly and, uh, and almost like arrogantly to say, speak to us. We want to hear your voice. And you will because of Jesus. And we want to praise you for that. So pray you speak to us now in your name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. So uh, last, um, last week, um, I was at a conference up in Edinburgh. And it's really kind of helped me with some of the stuff that's been in the news this week. Um, I don't know if you've heard the stuff about the knife crime. Uh, it's all very much boom, boom uh, in the news at the moment. There, I saw uh, a little uh, news clip. Um, we watched like the ITV hub. Um, and we watched yesterday's news the day after. So we're watching this, and there's two boys who have been like uh, blacked out, um, and they're giving like an interview, and they're saying that they carry knives around with them because they don't see there's much option. They either see um, the option as being it's life and death for them. They think to avoid a coffin, I carry a knife. And their mother was interviewed as well and said, I really agree with them. I agree that they should carry a knife. And you're like, you know, you think in the society, you know, it's nuts, isn't it? And um, what the answer is, it's like, it's more police, isn't it? And they say, uh, people aren't afraid of the police anymore. So I don't know how you get around that, you know. But it's like, what is the answer? And it wasn't until I was on this conference that I heard something very radical. There's a guy, he's a minister in Middlesbrough. His name is Ian Williamson. And he sat on a question panel and they uh, fired questions at them. He gave his testimony Eight-year-old boy, his father either dies or walks out. Um, everyone around him, as an eight-year-old, he's got a younger brother and a sister and a mum. They look at him, and it's stuff that we say, right? It just rolls off the tongue. But I don't think we understand the sort of weight that it carries. People said to him, ooh, you're the man of the house now. You're the man of the house. You've got to protect your mum. You've got to protect your brother. You've got to protect your sister. And he said, as an eight-year-old... I just stood there and thought, flipping heck, this responsibility is on me. And so there began this this pressure on this young boy that led him to carrying a knife and to taking one to bed with him. The house next door to theirs used to get periodically burgled. So he used to, yeah, he had lots of anxiety come the evening time. But he would carry a knife then around with him during the day because, like, I need to be the one who protects. So him speaking, right, into all this stuff on the news, do you know what he says the answer is? Do you know what he says? He says fathers are the answer. I'm like, oh, my days. Fathers are the answer. That my father legged it. My mum, vulnerable. My brother, my sister, vulnerable. Me, vulnerable. What we needed was a father. What we needed was a man to say, I am taking responsibility for my family. 
a man to say, I will provide and I will protect. That's what he sees is the most needed thing. And you look at the news then, you're like, how way off are they, isn't it? More police. What? Now we have to try and make people fear the police. So what are they supposed to do in order for that to happen, right? It's like, oh, they must have to do some dark stuff to put, kind of put fear in people so they don't step out of the lines anymore and carry knives and stab people. What is it? It's fathers. And we're looking today at this one word, our father. We're looking at God being our father and how that can totally transform your life here today. If you know Jesus, oh, it should transform the way that you live. If you don't know Jesus, oh, you too can be brought into the family where God is your father, Jesus is your brother, and the church is your family. He can do that. So last time I spoke, it was away last Sunday, but the Sunday before that, we were on the, just that word, our so we're thinking about these, our Father. That's how Jesus tells us to pray. This is the true way of praying. If we're not praying like this, it is only a model prayer. We're not supposed to just recite it. It's one that we can just launch off of, this prayer is. We'll get into that maybe a bit later on. But it's a model prayer, and we then have to build a prayer life that looks like this, but is different, is bigger than this. But you must start your prayers by realizing that Jesus invites you to pray to the Father. It's Jesus first and foremost that says, pray our Father. He puts his arms around us. And he says, you must understand this. That the Father is your Father in the same way that he is my Father. You're like, oh, surely that's not right. Surely that's not right. Like, it's like thinking about like, our families, isn't it? When there's some biological children in the family, and then there's some adopted children, it's like, well, there's, got, there's a difference, right? Jesus says, no, there is no difference. This is where you see the, where you have been brought from and brought into. That Jesus says, you're like me. You are a son with every right as a son, like I am. There is no difference. Oh, man. And now, isn't that mind-blowing? You see, that, that's got to be something that you've got to think on, that is. And something that you've got to mull over in your head, because that is huge, that is. But then that was two weeks ago, right? Now we're on Father. He says, our Father. Now, you must understand here that God, um, the Father in heaven, is supposed to be seen as the Father. He will fulfill the role of Father to you. That is who he is. And as a father, there are certain characteristics that, that, that are, just, are just amazing and, and mean that he is someone that you want to run to. There is someone, he is someone that you want to talk to. There is someone that you want to get into his embrace. You may have a father in your life right now. And even if they are the best father you've ever known, it's just a smidgen on what... The Father in heaven is like. All earthly fathers, if they're any good at all, will be, will be basing their fatherhood on his. That's why we have them. That's why we have fathers. That's why we have family life. It's something that's given by God and to help us to understand what he is like. What kind of father has he been to Jesus? Well, you can see it. And 
And now that you're in Christ, if you trust in him, that same fatherhood is towards you. What sort of things? How does he perform as a father? Well, he says you can come to him at any time. Any time you can come to him. This is lovely, right? Because your earthly dads, even if they are any good, they, they fail on this one, don't they? They, they get frustrated with you uh, when you ask them uh, at um, inappropriate times. If you were like uh, more Sen was saying that Arthur was up at uh, uh, like 4 a.m. this morning. Yeah, it's a bit inappropriate, isn't it? Asking for your dad for something ah, ah, at 4 a.m. And it's like, oh, it brings out something in you, doesn't it? Sometimes you want to chuck him out the window at that sort of time in the morning. But, but God the Father's not like that. He actually says, no, no, you've got to come any time. And so in Galatians 4, verses 6 to 7, it says this, Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So those who are sons have the spirit of his son in them and will call out to him whenever they're in need, whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance, whatever the place, whatever you have done. You see, we've got this really messed up view, isn't it, of when we can talk to God, I have just messed up, I have sinned against him and against other people. Now I must wait till I feel better to go to him. It's like, where does it say that in the Bible? Nowhere. He is the Father. And he says, no, come to me. Come and find your help. Just talk to me. And he will receive you. That's how he performs. That's great, isn't it? The second thing is this, that he supplies all of our needs. So in uh, Matthew 6, verse 8, it says, Do not um, be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Isn't that amazing that the Father knows your need? It talks in the Bible before you even open your mouth. He knows what you need. And maybe that very thing out of your mouth is not what you actually need, but it's what you think you need. But you'll go, no, I know what you actually need. Isn't that amazing that the Father knows your needs? And, he's, and then in that reading, isn't it, in Luke chapter 11, what does he do with our needs? Well, when you ask, when a child asks you for a piece of toast, you don't go giving them a scorpion now, do you? If they want um, some sausages, you don't go and give them a snake, do you? It's like, duh. Even like, even the, you know, the most rubbish of fathers knows, yeah, that's probably not a good thing. That would mean the end of my child. He knows your needs. He knows. And he will meet your needs. He hasn't forgotten you. There's a verse in the Bible which is great. It says in Isaiah 49, 16, See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Do you know, do you know when you do this? When you forget something? Like, I don't want to forget. What do you do? You write on your hands. Who does that still? Mel does it a lot. Yeah, you write on your hands. Or if I write it on my hand, I am not going to forget. Do you remember the talk that um, we did like a little illustration up the front here? And Sam helpfully um, got us thinking about what is the hand of God and the arm of God. Do you remember that? And, and here you've got that sort of idea, isn't it, of on Jesus, on Jesus, on his arm and on his hand is written our names. 
You know, the, the great high priest, isn't it? You can't look at the great high priest without seeing the Spirit, isn't it, being poured out on him. You can't look at him without seeing our names upon his chest, bearing us over his heart or on his shoulders. You see this? He cares. He really cares and wants to meet our need. That's why the priesthood exists. It's because we have a need and we can't possibly fulfill that need for ourselves. So the high priest comes and he does what needs to be done. Our names are graven on his hands. He carries us over his heart and his shoulders. He doesn't forget you and he knows you completely. The Bible says even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Isn't that amazing? And he does want us to come to him in our times of need. He does want us to talk to him. In, uh, in uh, Luke chapter 12, there's a verse that says, Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Now, cool. So the ravens. Do you know what ravens are? Ravens were the birds used in the Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock film called Birds. Do you know that film? It's freaky. Nothing really happens, but it's just he's a genius, isn't he, of like just the music, nothing much happening. I'm stressed, <laughs> and my heart starts to beat faster. And, but they, they're known birds of like no one really keeps them as like a pet which they want to show off to people and to pet, do you know? I think I think in the Tower of London, aren't they? Which is like all dark and dreary and that sort of thing. There's um, there's a poem by um, Edgar Allan Poe called The Raven, um, and um, actually there's one NFL team that takes their name from his poem. They're called the Baltimore Ravens. Don't know if you knew that. There we are. That's it. Um, but <coughs> he wrote a poem, and 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 there the, the Raven takes on this picture of like, yeah, it's really like it's not nice. Um, and it just has this one word it says, nevermore. Everything that he says, surely this will happen. Nevermore. <laughs> and it's like really like, oh. And ravens have got the worst sound you'll ever hear from a bird. The worst sound. Even Mazzy wouldn't have one of these in his house. Do you know, Mazzy loves the birds. But I've got a, I've got a little audio clip of what a, a raven sounds like. So do you want to play that, Alex? Um, and Joe's going to crank up the volume. This is what it sounds like. not good, is it? That's not good, is it? That is not like, that doesn't really bring out from you, does it? Uh, oh, let, let, me, let, me, let me give you what you need. That answer, let's get bang, let's get rid of that, doesn't it? Psalm 147.9 says, he provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. Oh my days, when they call. That moves God's heart to come out and to provide. How much more valuable are you than, than ravens? Isn't it? You think that you, your voice to him must sound like that. It's grating on him. Oh, he just doesn't want to listen to me again. I'm saying the same thing. I'm asking for the same thing. No, he, he provides for the raven. How much more valuable are you than them? So he wants to supply all our needs. Like a true dad as well, thirdly, he pities our miseries. 
He, he has a fatherly compassion towards us. So in the Psalm 103 verse 13, he says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And that's lovely to be a dad where your kids characterize your, your behavior with them as compassionate. Oh, that's lovely, isn't it? And here, this is who the father is like. He wants to give compassion. So do you remember the prodigal son? This really is us. We are children like this, isn't it? He has a bit of a tantrum and he ups and he leaves. And what does he say when he's in the muck? When he's eating pig food out of the green food bins? When he's out of money, out of friends? What does he say? Oh, these lovely words. I will go to my father. You see, in Jesus, when he brings you in and you're adopted into the family of God, it is who you are. It is who you are. And you can run, but you can never get away from that identity. You are a son and a daughter if you've trusted in Jesus. And you can go very far. You can go very far geographically. Psalm 139 says you're wasting your time. But you can go geographically far from the church that, you, that you're a part of. You cannot attend. Uh, you can throw yourself into lots of stuff, drink and drugs. You can throw yourself into just work um, and you know, pleasures and wealth. You can do all of that, but you can't outrun this identity. I will go to my father. And what happens? He rehearses these things, saying, I'm not worthy to be called your son. He's a rubbish son, isn't he? He's a rubbish son. That's not how the father looks at him before he gets to him. Still when he's a long way off, isn't it? The father takes, takes to the, to the, gets his running trainers on, off he goes and meets him and showers him with kisses. He also disciplines us, doesn't he? That's the fourth thing. Is That's what good fathers do. They discipline their kids. He disciplines us. Um, and uh, Hebrews 12.10 says, um, you know, our earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So he takes it upon himself then to, to not just let us go about our lives, not just to, oh, whatever, whatever influences, just, just try and navigate them, my son. No, he takes the father, is involved in the children's lives. It's not just up to the woman, up to the mum. You sort them out. No. You see, he takes interest he wants to make sure here that his son and his daughter are not just le- left to themselves, open to believe whatever they feel like believing. No, he says, doesn't he? He wants us. He wants us a part of a people. He wants us daily in his word. He doesn't want wolves around, elders. I'll put them in place in your church so that they can keep a watch out for the wolves that come because they want to devour What a great father he is. He comes to discipline us because he loves us. And it is the one thing, isn't it? He says, if you've been under the discipline of the Lord, he only disciplines those who are his. The proof that you're in his family is that you receive discipline from him. It's great, isn't it? And also then he's good dad because he lays up an inheritance for his children. How cool is this? So children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children, it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 14. Luke 12, 32 says, Do not be afraid, little flock. 
Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Oh, see, though he um, has an heir already in his son, he makes us co-heirs with Christ. Romans 8, 17, now if we're children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So we are to look at him as our father, and he is the bomb. He is the father. The definition of fatherhood comes from him. And if you look at your earthly dad and he is a lot of this stuff, then go, man, the father in heaven must be even more so impressive. If you haven't got a dad at the moment, oh, you've got a father in him. You've got a father in him. And he wants to be all of this to us. And we're told about the fatherhood of God because it's supposed to increase our dependence upon him. The Heidelsberg Catechism asks this question, why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father? The answer, listen to this, to awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer that childlike reverence and trust toward God, which should be basic to our prayer. God has become our Father through Christ and will much less deny us what we ask of Him in faith then our fathers would refuse us any earthly things. Isn't that lovely? So he is an incredible father. He plays his role amazing. Amazing. And a lot of us, you have to give him a chance to be able to show himself because you stay away from him. Now he wants to be father to you. But when Jesus uses this word, our father, we're supposed to be thinking, well, where's my part in this, Right? The implication, if he is your father, who are you? Who are you? Yeah, you're the child. You are a child. Oh, I wonder if you find that offensive, eh? You're just a child. That's who you are this morning. You're just a child. You see, Jesus puts children before the disciples and says, unless you become like one of these, in what way did he mean? It's not in their innocence, don't become a child like that because that's not what he means. Not in their immaturity, not in their inquisitiveness, which is nice, isn't it? But that's not what he means. Not in their waywardness, not in their irresponsibility, but in their humility. Not the humility of their characters, but the humility of their status. You see, if you're a child here under the age of 18 or 16, I don't know which one it is, but the government label you as a dependent. A dependent. Because you children here are dependent upon your mum and dads. If they left the house, you would be in a terrible state. You might be able to make a cup of tea, maybe. You might have to have a trip to A&E afterwards. You may be able to sort out, like, you know, the, uh, the super noodles for a little while. The milk will soon run out, and then you've got nothing. You're dependent. And when I say you're a child, that is who you are. It's in your status before God. You're not God. We are not God in this, in this prayer. You are a child. And as a child, you are dependent upon the Father. That is where He wants you. And are you a good child? Are you a good son? Are you a good daughter? Proverbs, isn't it? Wants to label, label that, isn't it? To hear a wayward son or a wayward daughter causes grief to the mum and dad. We cause him grief. When we do that, when we up and when we leave, we cause him grief. 
What kind of child are you? We should be children who behave with reverence, love, and gratitude. Reverence is a weird word, isn't it? If you've grown up in church life like I have, reverence becomes the thing that happens before communion. That, that, that was reverence. You know, we're, we're going to have a time now when it goes quiet. And it's like, I don't know what we're doing here. It's like now everyone is just free to just to think about whatever they want to think about uh, with no disruption. That's not reverence. That's why we took down, there was um, the sea of things above the door. God is love. God is love. And then on the way in, it was like, be reverent. Yeah, and we, we, I took them down because I'm like, that's just open to misinterpretation that is. Reverence in the Bible is Joshua taking his shoes off and saying, I'm not going to go anywhere until you tell me what to do. That's what reverence is. Be reverent this morning. It's not coming here and hanging your personality up at the door, walking in and pretending to be all holy and spiritual. That is not what reverence is. There's no way in the Bible you're told to do that. He despises assemblies like that. Being reverent today means that you just shut up and you let Jesus tell you who you are and what you're to do. Just shut up. Take your shoes off. You're not going anywhere. Not, not, you don't know how to live. You don't even know how to be a son, how to be a daughter. Just be quiet. Know who I am. He is the Father in heaven. He's not the, he- he's not the Father on earth. He's not your pal, your chum, your buddy. He is your Father. Yes, one who loves you and knows you and wants you to meet your needs and to welcome you in. The one who has provided for you now and in the future. He's all of that. But don't be, don't get be mistaken that he's your buddy. Hiya, pal. What should we do today? No, reverence is you know who he is. And therefore, you, you just shut up. You take off your shoes. Commander of the Lord's army in it. And Joshua meets him. He says, are you on our side or theirs? And it's like, just take your shoes off, man. Take your shoes. You haven't got a clue what's going on here. I'm the commander. You're on my side. I'm not on yours. I'm the one who's got how to get into this place here. Jericho, I'll tell you how to take it. But you need to be quiet and get your shoes off. Moses, the same. Get your shoes off, Moses. The ground on which you're standing is holy ground. But still he was piping up, wasn't he, Moses? Still he was giving it all that. So that God has to raise his voice. You know. Who made man blind and deaf? Who gives them sight? Isn't I the Lord? See, he's been irreverent. As a child, reverence is called for. Because you're the child and he is the father. As, even with your earthly dads, isn't it? you don't uh, join him to you at the computer as he's looking over the bank statements. Right, dad, what are we going to spend our money on this month? Like, yeah. <laughs> CBeebies is on, son. <laughs> I give you leave to watch it. That doesn't happen, does it? Yeah, so, so reverence is what's called for. We, there's an awe that we must have in the light of, of His majesty, that our Father who is in heaven. And with love as well, isn't it? Love really mainly is seen in us, in us submitting to Him. Love is seen as, if you love me, you will do what I say. You will obey my commands. See, when we say love God, it's that you, yeah, I want to listen to you. You know what's best. And I want to submit myself to you. And I want to learn what pleases you. 
isn't it? Kids get very in tune with this very quickly, isn't it? What, what you love and what disappoints. And that's okay to have that influence on your kids. That's all right. It's not manipulation. That's just right, isn't it? Um, I'm not pleased when you answer back to my kids. I'm not, I'm not pleased with that. Because you're stepping out of a role there that God has given you. You are dependent upon, upon us. You can ask questions, sure thing. But none of this battling going on. That displeases me. So the kids, should they, should they not look at that and say, well, I don't want to do that. It displeases my dad. We as parents want to do what pleases our kids, don't we? As long as it doesn't cross over into, ne- into neglect and not fulfilling our role. That's all okay. So we just need to love him. And then with gratitude as well, we've got to come to him and remember that it's not about what we want. And I think that's what the prayer is doing here. What Jesus is doing here is like he's saying, we're not going to start with you. We're going to start with the fact that I get you in. And you can only pray because I'm praying to begin with. So you jump on and piggyback off of my prayer, my intercession for you. That's where we're going. We're united with him, isn't it? And we go with him into the throne room. He says, you've got to get that first. It's not about what you and you want. Just don't go in going, blah, 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 is what I want. No, no, remember, I get you in. And then you're a son like I am a son. You can call him father. I do that. There's three petitions here, which are still, it's still more on this before you get to you. His gratitude should be a part of being a son, right? Of like, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for bringing us in. Deuteronomy 32.6 says, Is this the way you repay the Lord, you foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? This is how our attitude should be to him. Now make sure that you're a son or daughter, right? How can you make sure that you're a son or daughter so you know that oh, I can go to him as my father? I can be confident because I know I'm a son, I'm a child, I'm a dependent. How can you be a good child if you don't even know if you're in or not? John chapter 1 says this. It's all about what, 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 what your relationship with Jesus is like. That's what it's got to do with. So it's not asking you how you feel this morning. If you go on how you feel, do you feel like a son? Do you feel like a daughter? Well, I tell you what, today, not so much. Not so much because I see that ingratitude in my heart. I see that I'm not, I, I talk way too much and I give him back chat him all the time. I don't feel like a son when I hear this sermon. It's not on your, on your feelings that you're going to come and say, Oh, I'm a son. That is rubbish, that is. No, it's to do with Jesus. To all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Not born of natural descent or of a husband's will, but born of God. That's how you know you're in. What have you done with Jesus? And what are you doing with Jesus this morning? Because if you're rejecting him, then you're not in. If you've gone to him, if you have said to him, Jesus, I want you, that you were in your life, you, you were convicted of your sin, you knew Jesus was your Savior, and you said, Jesus, I want you. Doesn't matter what you feel today, have you gone to him? And will you take him today? Will you do business with Jesus today? Because he brings us into the family. He does it. Gives us his spirit, who will witness with our spirit that we're children of God. He gives us his word, and his spirit uses his word in that way to discipline us so we know that we're in. But you've got to start with Jesus. You've got to start with him. So that's God as our Father. 
That is him having this role and fulfilling his role beautifully towards us. But we're not necessarily good children. But children we are. And know this, that he wants that relationship to be nourished and to, to grow and to flourish. He wants that. And so you're invited. If you're not a Christian here, you're invited into his family. Yes, you are. How do you know that he wants you in? He sent his son to die for you to get you in. So make things right with his son. Go to him. Even where you are today, pray to him. And you can make it right. You can be in. If you're a Christian here, it's Jesus who has got you in. And it is your identity, whether you like it now or not. And your experience can be very different. I don't know if you remember this. Like some, Mel shared this with me. Uh, an illustration that one preacher gave, like, but yeah, there's a son, isn't it, holding holding a dad's hand. You've seen those kids, haven't you? I want that toy, <laughs> and they're getting dragged out of the supermarket, and you catch the father's eye, and he rolls his eyes, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, we're here again. <laughs> um, so there's that experience of being a child, isn't it? And I wonder if that's yours. Maybe like you know, you just yeah, you're having your little uh, paddies because you want something but can't have it. But then there's another, another view, isn't it, of that, of that father with maybe his other son and up in his arms. And they're like, tickle, tickle, and they're giggling. It's a bit like, oh, we're in Noah. If you see Noah, it's like, Aah! he's all ticklish and everything. And they're on a laugh and everything like this. And, it, and you think, is, there a, yeah, is that one who's being dragged, are they any less a son? Well, no, they're not, are they? In the same family. But his experience right now is very different, Right? Because you want to be the other one, don't you? You want to be the one that's laughing alongside the father. The one where you're enjoying that father-son relationship. Not being dragged around all moody, fighting him on everything. And see, I think, Christian, that's where, that's where it can really change for you today. Oh, if I feel alone, and you're self-pity. And you're not any less a son than the person that you look at in church who's, who's loving the singing. Who's got this big smile on their face and they're like, oh, taste and see. That the Lord is good. Oh, he is so good. But your experience is different. But you're not any less a son or a daughter. Not any less. Jesus says, pray our Father. There's no difference. He doesn't like favoritism, our God, does he? He doesn't. That's been a bit of a thing he's been bashing with us, isn't it? He doesn't like favorites. You treat everyone the same. You don't talk after the service to just a little group of people. You treat everyone the same. He doesn't like the favorites. He doesn't play favorites. Because I'm a minister, I am not a favorite. You see, it's worse for me. My experience would be like, now you were, you were actually maybe the, the big brother, so you, you've got an answer for a lot more. And the elders have got an answer for a lot more. Yeah, but he, he loves you. No favorites. We're all the same here this morning. But we're not all having the same experience. Yeah, and I think you need to ask yourself, what's that about? What's that about? Are you off in different rooms of the house just on your phone? <laughs> What's kids doing there? Where, where, where's Jacob gone? Ah, he's found a phone. That's what he's done. And he's off. And then there's some of you who act like that in church life. On the phone somewhere, off in the corner. Not talking to his people, not talking to the father, because you're off just doing your own thing. Not any less a son, not any less a daughter, but your experience is very different. 
You experience different. It's quite selfish, self-indulgent. Your experience will be different. So change. Stop that. After the service, now don't sit in your chair. Get up. Go and talk to someone else. Make their day. Do you know, your experience can be very different. Same father. We're all equal here. Different. The world can't comprehend different and equal at the same time, can they? They can't. We've all got to be the same. <laughs> One brush. No, no, we're different. I've got a different role to you. I've not a favorite. Not a favorite. Jesus shed his blood for me. He shed his blood for Jacob. He shed his blood for Josie, for Phoebes, for Karis, for Matt, for Heidi. He shed his blood for all of us. We're so precious to him. We're all equal. But our experience could be very different. So have a think on this. Have a think now as I pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that you came, you were sent from the Father. That's how much he loves us. That he's willing to send you his son. You were in the family. You are the heir. But he sent you. Knowing that we would beat you and that we would kill you. And we would crucify you. But thank you that the Father is able to deal with that and to turn it into life for us. And we just want to praise you and thank you that you have spent your son's blood on buying us. Every single one of us. So much so that there's no difference. You don't like men more than women. You don't like grown-ups more than kids. You don't like kids more than grown-ups. You, you love us all equally. And you've given us all different roles in life and in the church. But you, we are equal. I pray for our experience as Christians. Oh, forgive us for being spoilt brats. Forgive us for being children that, that don't act much like children. Forgive us for not being dependent upon you and, and always striving for independence and we're striving against our nature there. Lord, please help us to give that up and just to simply stop it. Forgive us we don't have the same attitudes that you do towards church family. Yeah, that we don't love like you love. But yet we're, we're of you. We're of the same nature as, as you. Because you have made us new. You've made us born again. Born by the Spirit. Born of God. And we're able to do it. We have the capability to love like you love. But we just can't be bothered. Please forgive us. And please help us, Lord. And yeah, let these words not just fall on the path and get snatched away. Or other desires will just come up and just choke it out and kill it. Oh, Jesus, please help these words to get in. And may they produce a different life for us, a fruitful life, a different experience as your son and your daughter. Please help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.